Absolutely important. Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're reviewing A Well-Pleasured Lady by Christina Dodd. This is the first book in the Fairchild series and was written in, or published, I should say, in 1997. Yes. So you may remember on our first Erata, Not Erotica, we talked about wanting to review a Selkie romance. <laughs> well, this is setting, it up, setting up our wonderful Selkie romance for January. I have a lot of thoughts, but first of all, this is introducing the next four books that we're going to be reviewing for you guys all touch on Scotland. Yes. So more the middle two than the first or the fourth, but all four of them will. So welcome to Scots Week Part 2. Scots Week Part 2. Uh, and we're also throwing in Supernatural Creature Week. So why not? Yeah. Um, so this is really... A book we're reviewing only because it really sets up the second in the series, which we really wanted to review. And Meg had some reservations about me reading this one. Yeah, I said maybe we shouldn't read it because there are some problematic parts. But we figured we'll power through. Lane is a completist. She likes starting from the beginning in series. Yeah, that's. I have a hard time picking a book up in the middle of a series. So, um, how do I... Meg and I feel differently about these books. I can already tell because I read some of Meg's notes when I was making my own. I objectively hated this. <laughs> Subjectively. And this is, I'm quoting my own 41 word summary here and getting ahead of myself, but like I had a fucking ball reading this book. <laughs> so you know what? It wasn't a total loss. No, not, honestly, I have not laughed as hard as I did at various points in this book in a long time. Good. So. Well, as usual, let's start with the book jacket so we know what we're talking about. Okay, so prim, plain, desperately virtuous Lady Mary Fairchild stared at the seductive gentleman and wondered, did he remember the elements of the night they met? Surely not. In the ten years since, she had abandoned her youthful impetuousness and transformed herself into a housekeeper, disguising her beauty beneath a servant's dour clothing determined to conquer the passions of the past. But Sebastian Durant, Viscount Whitfield, did recognize her as a fair child, one of his family's bitter enemies. When he demanded her help recovering a stolen diary, she dared not refuse him. When he proposed they masquerade as a betrothed couple, loyalty forced her to agree. And when the restraint between them shattered and pleasure became an obsession, Mary had to trust a powerful man who could send her to the gallows or love her through eternity. <laughs> I don't know how to comment on that book jacket. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know. It's, it's actually not super inaccurate, except I don't think it captures the book. But what could? I mean, what could? That's, that's what, exactly, exactly. What could you write that would give you a glimpse of what you're going to get into? I, I really don't think you can. Yeah, there's no way to do it. So... I've read two Christina Dodd books now, this and the subsequent novel, and she makes no attempt to be realistic. And I don't mean that she's anachronistic, which of course she is. I mean, these people don't behave like people. No. They don't think like people. No. The family dynamics of like pure ruthlessness are absurd. Like, I have a really hard time critiquing this jacket or this book on the basis of 
normal criteria. Yeah, you can't. You can't. Because exactly. would these two people believably fall in love? I don't know. Neither of them is a believable person. Right. Exactly. So, uh, yes, Mary ran away disguised as a housekeeper. Two people witnessed the thing she did. Yeah. One of whom was Sebastian. I really enjoyed that the book jacket reveals he definitely knew. Yes. When the book doesn't until very far end. end. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so the, the factually the book jacket cannot be critiqued. Yeah, I can't critique it because there's, you can't. I, I don't know. I don't know what, how you would do it otherwise. All right, well, let's see how we did it. So our random number this week was 41. And of course we generated our own summaries. So Meg, what was yours? Mary is a fugitive housekeeper. Sebastian, who might know her fugitive secrets, needs her for an elaborate fake relationship plot to get revenge on her family. All of this takes place in a dreamlike novel with a gothic fairy tale feel. Yep. How about yours? So mine was, the only two witnesses to a crime committed 10 years ago just happened to be at the same house party with the perpetrator. Objectively, I hated the rape and lack of realism. Subjectively, I laughed out loud and heartily so often. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there are a lot of things to hate about this. Oh. Obviously, we will get there. We'll get there. I mean, we can start with it if you want. I just... Look, you know what? Let's start with it because if you look this book up, you are going to see a huge divide between people who can overlook what happened in this book and people who cannot. So basically what happens in this book is that nearly all of their sexual encounters are non-consensual and one is unquestionably rape. She says no. She tries to fight him physically. Uh, she, she doesn't submit at all. Um, to, to the sex. And he does it in revenge for her flirting with someone else, basically. Yes. Or he thinks that she's flirting with someone else, but she hasn't. And the sexual encounter prior to that one, which doesn't go quite as far, she is forcibly resisting to the point that she only gets him to stop by picking up a silver plate cover and beating him over the head with it until he develops a black mark and a cut. He gets a, he, yeah, he gets his face cut in a black eye, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's so a he, lot he of... he knows that she's not welcoming the sexual encounter. Right. So it's all forcible, non-consensual, violent. And as our regular listeners will know, this is usually my biggest pet peeve. Mm-hmm. I hate sexual violence in books. I especially cannot handle it when it's a plot point between the top two main characters. Uh, I find it completely disgusting. Fetishizing it and trying to sexualize it is usually the thing that upsets me the most. But I believe this was a direct quote of a text I sent Meg. It's hard to talk about consent and dynamics between two people when I don't view either of them as people. Yeah. Yeah, the, I mean, to me, this book really is a, a fantasy world. It's a fantasy world. Uh, so I said, I, I think 
I feel that it takes elements from fairy tales, from gothic novels, sort of jams it all together, romance novels. There's no, no one in here is an actual person. And it, to the point that she, I think, as a trope, is the woman who has had to completely suppress not just her identity, but her womanhood. Yeah. And so he is this virile man who also knows her secrets. Exactly. Is the one who's able to force her to reawaken to her, her own passions. And yes. she's, you are in her head for some of the sex scenes and for all that she's saying no, she's thinking yes. Yeah. And that is disgusting. Yes. Like, I'm not going to defend that no. as like good writing or as consensual sex because clearly it's not. But it's also so obviously a metaphor with no thought yes. to how it relates to the reality of how people act yes. that I found myself laughing rather than getting angry. Yes. And none of this, none of what we're saying is trying to defend or excuse no. what happens. And like, I would still say if you have a real trigger warning with this stuff, like avoid this, like the plague. And we'll get to this in the end. I'm not even sure I recommend this book. No. But I'm just saying, but, usually I, with this exact subject matter, if someone described this to me, I would have told you I would have put this book down and never picked it up again and told Meg we're not reviewing it because I'm just not reading it. And instead, when she beat him over the head with the silver thing, I, I literally guffawed in my bed. I was yeah. like, what is this? Yeah. So. Well, and then it becomes this little, this bit of a plot point later is that he's kind of glad that she did beat him and mark him because it meant that other men wouldn't approach her. Because they could tell she was vicious. Yeah, she was going to beat them up. It's and then later he gets, he gets in a fight with someone else. Mm -hmm. And he thinks, well, at least they're all going to think it was Mary who beat me up. It's very odd, you guys. Yeah, it's, 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 it's odd. It's very weird. So we got some tropes here, because I don't think any of that could be called a trope, because I have never read anything no. like it. Yeah. Um, so this is referenced several times. There is the fake relationship. So they go into this house party as fake betrothed. And the reason is, so this is not, this is like the first two chapters. Yes. So very low level spoilers. The woman who took Mary into her employ mm -hmm. when she, I'm sorry, Guinevere Mary. Guinevere Mary. Into her employ is a woman named Lady Valerie. Yes. Who's an oft-widowed um, former mistress of many yes. high-powered individuals. And she kept a diary for reasons describing her political machinations in great detail. Yeah. And you get excerpts of it at the end, and also she was a horrible writer. Um, oh, it's so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. But so her, this diary falls into the wrong hands, and it just so happens to fall into the hands of Mary's family. Right. So in order to gain entry into the house party, where they have reason to believe the diary will be sold, Sebastian tells Mary she has no choice but to pretend to be his, fi his fiancé, mm -hmm. re-enter society as a fair child. Yes and provide them with an excuse for being there for as long as they need to be to resolve the situation. And of course, out of loyalty to Lady Valerie, she does it. Correct. But the twist in this, as spoiled by the book jacket, is what caused Mary to flee and assume a fake identity and go into Lady Valerie's employ is the committing of a crime. Yes. That 
Sebastian just happened to witness. Yes. So you spend the whole book, from Mary's perspective, wondering if Sebastian remembers. Right. And from his perspective, it, this is one of the, I thought this would probably annoy you, is that he never admits to knowing it. Yeah, it in did. his own mind. But once again, who cares? This yeah. book's yeah, yeah, construction yeah, yeah. was so bizarre. Yeah. Exactly. No one had a real perspective. Sebastian is, he doesn't think about Guinevere Mary in his perspectives, really. He Not doesn't very think much, about no. anything. He doesn't think about much, no. It's very bizarre. So, like, yes, it bothered me that he the whole time knew he'd witnessed it, but he never thinks. I wonder why she did what she did. Well, he doesn't wonder because he kind of, he didn't really care because the guy who did it was horrible. Yeah. So, very, very weird book. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the, what gets them all yeah. to this house party. So it's, I call it the I know what you did last summer trope. Yes. Uh, Mary is very much a protective older sister. Mm -hmm. A lot of what she has done in her life is to protect her baby brother Haddon. Yes. There are... Which I was a little confused by. Uh -huh. So Mary and Haddon's father is named Charles. Yes. And he had a brother named Bub. He had a, was it his brother? Yes. Okay. Because Bub is her uncle. Uncle. Okay. Yes. And their yeah, father was, what was the title? Earl Viscount? Their father was, had no title. He was just okay. Mr. Charles Fairchild. No, no, no. Charles's father. Oh, Charles. He was a Mar Marquis. Marquis. Thank you. Um, so Marquis Fairchild is Marion Haddon's grandfather. Yes. So was Charles the younger son? He must be. Because I was trying to figure out why... Because she shouldn't be Lady Mary. Because she shouldn't be a lady. Correct. But in theory, Haddon should be Bub's heir. Right. And that like never gets brought up. They never talk about that. Like, that's how detached from reality is. This book about family politics and the British aristocracy does not discuss a line of succession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am left very confused. It's very odd. So can Bub has five daughters? Right, but no sons. But no sons. And so in theory that means ha Haddon's the heir. Haddon's the heir, but they, it's never brought up. You're right. And like nobody even asks where Haddon is. Yeah. No, and they don't call him Lord Haddon either. And they also don't seem to be sure that he exists. Yeah. Like I kept waiting for the twist to be that Haddon was her mother and not her father's, like a bastard. Yeah. But he looks like a fair child. Yeah, he looks like he is a fair child. So it's like, that's not the case. He was the legitimate yeah. child of both parents. Yeah. Anyway, so we're talking, we are talking way more about this family's dynamics. Than the, no. I just make a true. statement that Mary shows up and they're like, oh my God, Guinevere Mary. And no one asks, where is, Bub's, where is Bub's heir? Yeah. Like, it's not just, oh, a random nephew. Yeah. It's the heir to the, like, entire very title. True. Very true. Very weird. That's, when I say this book was not reality, I mean that level of detail. And you know, it didn't even occur to me until you just brought it up because it, to me, that, I mean, that is not the point of this book, <laughs> which is really funny because you read, uh, many people read historicals because they want to get that feeling. Yeah. And this book doesn't, this isn't a historical. This is a no. fairy tale. And as we Princess mentioned, story. this sets up the Selkie story. Yes. But this one has no magic in it. it well, except that they do talk about Ian as this. He says his mo my mom's a Selkie. Right, but clearly his dad's a dick, and mm -hmm. you could interpret that as just his father refusing to tell him about True. his mother. You could, you could interpret it that. So there's no actual magic in it at all. No. But um, so the aforementioned Selkie cousin, Ian, 
is uh, courting Mary. Yes, yes, he's courting Mary. He wants to marry her because, oh yeah, by the way, Mary was made heiress of all of the money. And you might be wondering why. Mm, the answer is because her grandfather was mean. <laughs> her grandfather's a major dick, basically, and he knew that the final way he could piss off his family was by leaving the money to someone that he had already estranged from the family. Yes. And had disappeared and gone off in the wilderness. Correct, because the reason Marion hadn't ended up on their own for Mary to get involved in the secret past issue uh, was because her grandfather kicked them out of the family home without aid after both of her parents yeah. died. Guys, I, I just realized that we're talking about this. This makes no sense. <laughs> I, I, I completely acknowledge that we just had 15 minutes of no sense, and you're probably thinking, what in the world are they doing? That is what reading this book is like. Oh, no, that's 100% how it feels. I think Lady Valerie's character is a little bit of a trope, the off-widowed seductress. Yes, yes. And she's got all of the older men at this house party just around her little finger. Oh, I, I, that was my favorite part of this book. She's great. Was Lady Valerie. She's also the best developed character with the most sensical motivations other yes. than writing down all of her political machinations. Yeah, other than that. Um, as we mentioned, Scott's week. Yes. Lady Valerie, upon the death of her last husband, who was French. Was so apparently, this takes place during the French Revolution. So her husband was like beheaded, probably. Right. Or he had already died, but she lost all of the revenue from the French estates. But her first husband had been Scottish. Scottish, and so she went back to his home that she yeah. still owned, and that's where she took Mary, who was fleeing the scandal in London with her little brother. Right. So they've all been hiding in Scotland. Hiding in Scotland. They, so of course, um, they need to go to this house party to solve the crime. Of the, of the diary, of not the diary, of Mary's past. The diary, which is, I, I, I love this trope, actually. I love but the whole... But it's really prevalent. Yes. Like, one person has done a secret bad thing, and the yes. only way to suss out who is to go to the house yes. party, because it could be any one of them. I really like it. it, it yeah, there are so many books. But I, I really enjoy it, because it... You know, most of the time you read these books and it all happens in London, well, and then when it's the let's solve the crime at the house party, they're not in London. It's a different trope. Well, and it is everybody confined to a small space, so it makes a lot yeah. of ridiculous antics make more sense. And in a normal novel, I'd say, yes, it's a trope, but it's one that helps the plot move. Yeah. In this case, no. you never even met, meet any of the party guests. No, it's no, just her and her family. You meet one. You meet one party guest. Sorry, a single party guest. Yes. Do you think he <laughs> might be the criminal? <laughs> I'll let you guess. Um, yeah, so it, they, they have this setup that's very typical and yeah. has a purpose generally, and then don't execute the purpose at yeah. all. Um, and then last, I think this was the third book we reviewed yes. since May with this, um, because when you have a conflict between aristocratic families, the thing that the aristocrats do, excuse me, the thing aristocrats do, obviously, is breed horses. Of course, and so... The yeah. conflict between the families must derive from horse breeding. Some kind of horse breeding drama. Yes, this is true. Maybe you killed all of their horses. Or maybe you um, released a male horse from your stable who sucked into their stable when they just bought a really good horse and somehow said bad horse literally impregnated 100% of the mares in yeah. a single evening. I don't know how that could have happened. Again, you know what? I'm not asking about logistics because that's not the point of the book. From the most major to the most minute plot point, yeah. Close inspection makes it not make sense no. in this book. So don't look too closely, in other words. Or look closely and be very amused. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like the second no one asked about Haddon, I laughed out loud. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> You're telling me the air is missing and no one cares? Yeah. Okay. So to, to me, this book really seems to take place in just an alternate dream-like reality. Yeah. 
You know, the the I when I read this book and I read the sequel, it's it's like watching a film in soft focus. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's this is reading a book in soft focus to me. The the point is the feeling that you get when you watch it, when you read it, not the actual words that you're reading or the actual right. story. You have to think of Mary as the woman on the run, even from herself. Yeah. And Sebastian as the only man who knows her truths and can yeah. bring her out of her shell. And the fact that it takes place in this insane world and he does so through rape just sort of has to get discarded. Yeah. So I objectively hate that. Yeah. Once again, I laughed so hard. Yes. So, but I do like that. I like that everything is over the top. She's not just a murderer. Mm -hmm. She murdered a pedophile who attempted to rape her brother. Who was courting her? Spoiler alert. Her tragic history is murder. Well, that's not a spoiler alert because from the first sentence, she's like, does he know I'm a murderer? (laughs) That's true. (laughs) But the fact that she murdered for Haddon, which I thought was especially weird because going back to you can't think too hard about anything, Mary, upon hearing the story of Ian, the cousin who Mm -hmm. stars in book two's birth, about how he was a bastard and like his mother had been left pregnant or some shit, thinks that's so similar to my story. So all the illusions up to you finding out she killed to protect her brother made you think she'd been ruined and abandoned? Yeah. Why? Good question. And she thinks about how I used to be so flighty and carefree with men, but not anymore. And yeah. so I was really waiting for her to say she'd been violated yeah. or she'd no, been pregnant. No, it was pregnant. because she was fooled by this guy. This guy was courting her to get close to her brother. Right. Right. But I mean, I'm, again, I'm not <laughs> defending this in any way. It didn't like, make more sense once you figured None it out. None of it made any sense. So she is in this family. It's not just like a mean family. This family is evil family. So we mentioned that her grandfather left her the money, even though he couldn't leave for the estate and the title, mostly just to piss everyone off. Right. So he has four brothers who are equally revolting to him. Yes. And they're, they are all just awful. They really are awful. I mean, Leslie, that's Ian's father, is the worst of the bunch. He's really the most terrible. Yeah. But they all are just awful. And Lady Valerie sleeps with most of them. Oh, she goes through those brothers? <laughs> In like two weeks. Yeah. Uh, and then the subsequent generations have flaws, but are not as like caricatures of... Yeah, but they are still evil. And, yeah. I mean, there's this whole... It really is supposed to be... So again, this this plays into the fairy tale feel to me, mm-hmm. uh, is that the whole family is just evil and cruel yes and that's how they make their living like that's how they live mm-hmm. is the women so again bub has five daughters mm-hmm. i believe and each of them is trying to figure out who they can seduce into marriage who has the most money what they can do they make fun of one of the girls for having fallen in love and given her virginity to this guy and then he won't marry her. But not because they're mocking her for being ruined. They right. all are. But because she was ruined for love, not for right. strategy. Exactly. Like that's what they mock her for. And the whole reason that Ian courts Mary is for her money. And when we say courts, we also mean attempts to rape. Sort of. I mean, he definitely, he tries to seduce her. Against her will. Yes, yes. And the parallels between what he does and what her betrothed do, exactly the same. (laughs) It's not exactly the same because he doesn't push her up against the wall and she doesn't have to punch. She is expressing no in the same way. 
she is she's able to stop him by treating him like a younger brother right and then he he gets ashamed and he, he leaves but I just want to make it clear that the hero of the next book was an attempted sexual abuser in this book. Yes, this is true. <laughs> and I will say that he doesn't improve much. No. In that novel. We'll get there. We'll get there. So, but again, it's, it's just over the top. It's not just a mean family or a cruel family. Right. Or a family that's fallen on hard times and so they have to go to unsavory ways. Because how many times have we read a heroine who is trying to marry well to save her family? Oh yeah. Many times. But in this case, all, they're just they're doing it like out of this sense of maliciousness almost especially when she is currently unmarried though betrothed to Sebastian in name only uh, and like a member of the family mm -hmm. who might have stake like they don't wait to suss out no. who she is where no. she's been what she's been doing not at all they just so, immediately start manipulating her yeah and Ian tells his family and he part of the reason that he decides to seduce her is to get her money, mm -hmm. but also so that his family will finally respect him for being as evil as them. Yes. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. That is his goal. That is his goal. That's a stated objective, yes. So that's something that I, I liked. Like, it's just so over the top that I'm like, yeah, give me more of that. Yeah, I, I think if this book had been even a tinge more realistic, mm -hmm. I would have despised it. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. But it's just so far out there exactly. that I'm... Like, I'm intrigued by how weird it is. Yeah. Um, so offensiveness. We already did most of this. We already talked about Lots it, of non-consensual, even between the hero and the heroine. The brother was almost attacked ate. by a pedophile. Um, yeah. Just a lot of squicky lots. sex. Everyone's Sexual a bad sex. person. Except for Mary. And, like, Lady Valerie-ish. She's sort of, but she's the one who's like, no, you you, you guys should get married. That's true. Maybe the, the sister who... Wilda. Yeah, Wilda, the one who was ruined for love. Yeah. But and she's also really poorly portrayed. Yeah. Even, even Haddon has this nasty side to him. Yeah. So There's lots of... of men, the only way to resolve conflict between men is fighting. Yes. A lot of that. Like, a lot of, I'm going to beat some sense into you, and then we're going to be even. Then, and then we'll be friends afterwards. Yeah. And family. Yeah. Friends and family. It's... Sexiness. Uh, I have a very different opinion than you okay, on this one. Okay, let's talk. So maybe... I, I thought... So for me, part of it is that I do think some of the sex can be really hot. Okay. So it, it, I'm not talking about... I don't know. It's very hard to say, but I think it plays into the fantasy of, I want someone to recognize when they need to convince me. Mm -hmm. The sort of forced seduction, mm -hmm. where if it's a recognized fantasy on both sides, it's fine. But you sort of want someone to know you enough to be able to suss out what you want. And in real life, it, it would never work. Right. It doesn't work like that in real life, obviously. Yeah, you'd want the conversation that right. this is what I want before. Obviously. It, it, if it's not obvious, it should be. Right. But, so I think that's what this book plays to. I think that's what the sex in this book plays to. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and I did find a lot of it very sexy. I especially liked the last part. <laughs> so there, there's one consensual sex scene, mm -hmm. which 
I, I just loved it. I loved everything about it. I loved the setup, which is they're in their grand, his, her, they are in her grandfather's study mm -hmm. trying to break into his safe. Mm -hmm. So she's in there. She is going to use her hairpins to pick the lock because she has those skills. She has those skills, but she's a little stressed out about it. And so to relax her, he's like, you know what? We should have sex in this room. Right, like you're clearly haunted by your grandfather's ghost in this room. Duh, like that's the only option. Yeah. So the I- The way to banish that and exercise his ghost is- Have sex in his chair and on his desk. Yeah, Duh. and it was pretty hot sex. So my issue with this, I, I don't disagree with anything you've said, Yeah. but we've talked before about how what I find sexiest is to people Yes. who I find sexy and compelling and want together. Yes. And these two characters were such tropes in a very weird way. Yes. And their dynamic was so weird that I in no way, shape or form could get lost in it. Like I was just like, I agree with you. The words on the page in the extended sex scene in her grandfather's office were hot, but I was laughing through the whole thing because I was like, <laughs> wait, also fair. now it's consensual? What is going on here? I it's, it's also fair because yes, what better way to feel better about the space that you're currently in than to well, and have like, sex in it? The reason they're also having sex in there at this point is because she's been ruined in society and they've had to get married. It's all very, it's all this is their weird. wedding night. It is, by the it way, is. It's sex you're right, it's their wedding night. It is their wedding night. Instead of having sex in their bed, he goes to help her pick the lock and then screws her in her grandfather's office. Like, it's so absurdist to me. Yeah. I can't talk about how sexy it is because at no point was I like, Yes, tell me more. Yeah. I was like, where are you taking me? Yeah. I'm in the coaster. Yeah. Where are you turning? I liked it. What yeah. can I say? No, I, I can't. <laughs> I can't disagree yes. with you saying it was objectively hot. Yeah. I'm saying subjectively, Wasn't, who were yeah. these people? Sure. Sure. <laughs> That's fair. So anyway, if anything about that book sounded interesting to you, you should check it out. Uh, I do think it's an interesting read. Do I, I have is it never that read I would recommend? anything like it? Yeah, I've never, it's very unique. And that's, I think that's one of the things too, is when we were talking about reading a Selkie book, I was like, wait, I have read a Selkie book. I remembered the Selkie. Did I remember everything about the book? No, but I remembered the sort of dreamlike weirdo, like weirdness. And I, I, perhaps one of the best compliments we can give a book is that it is memorable. I'm never gonna forget this. So there you go. Yeah. Is, uh, Usually we sum it up a little more succinctly, but I don't know how you can with no, this. There's, there's no way to sum this book up. I cannot sum this book up. That just doesn't work. <laughs> it's, it's like a apples and oranges. Like they don't add up, right? You can't add them all together. That's what happens in this book. There are just so many different weird plot elements all together. You can't sum it up. 1997 was a weird year. <laughs> it was a weird year. That's, that's what I've taken from this. So as always, thank you guys so much for listening. We really enjoyed the podcast. So, And as always, if you could rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, we would greatly appreciate it.